So I just want to welcome everybody here this morning and tell everybody Merry Christmas. And, um, you know, we, it's almost like we get to celebrate Christmas twice. We're celebrating our Christmas service here this morning. Then, of course, we'll be with our families, as you will, also uh, this coming week for Christmas. But um, what a beautiful time of the year to celebrate. And, you know, as I begin here, you know, today we celebrate what occurred over 2,000 years ago, the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But God's salvation, however, um, God promised to send a Savior uh, his promise to send us a Savior was announced all the way back in the book of Genesis. And many people don't, don't realize this, um, but right after Adam and Eve had sinned, God was already putting in the plan in motion for us to be saved and for him to extend his mercy and his grace. So really the Christmas story began in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That verse says, And I will put enmity, open hostility between you and the woman. This is the Lord speaking to Satan and between your seed, offspring, and the seed, and her seed, he shall fatally bruise your head, and you shall only bruise his heel. So immediately after Adam and Eve had sinned, God was announcing his mercy to the sinner. And speaking to the devil, he said, I will put open hostility between you and the woman. And, and God was referring to, to, to Satan and, and his uh, hostility toward mankind. And we know that even today, Satan is an enemy of us. He is against us. He comes as a deceiver. He comes as someone that, that appears to be an angel of light, appears to be someone that, that is for us, but he's against us. He hates you. He hates everything about you. He hates every good thing that God has in store for you. The Bible, the Bible says that, that um, your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. Satan is, is our enemy. So that's who it is that the Lord was referring to. But the second part of this verse is the Bible's first announcement of a savior, and it gives two predictions here. It says, he will fatally bruise your head or crush your, or crush your head. And speaking here, the Lord said, and her seed. Well, the seed that the Lord was referring to was, this, was, was Christ, the savior, Christ the Messiah. And um, it, it says that he, will, that he will crush you, Satan. And what, what the Lord was prophesying, the Lord was referring to was the cross of Calvary. And we know that Jesus conquered the devil on the cross of Calvary. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And Satan, Satan is defeated in Jesus' name. And he has, no, he has no power over us because of the victory over the cross. And then, he says, and then he said to Satan, he says, you will only bruise his head. And what the Lord was referring to here is what was the cross. That, that yes, Satan was going to look like he had the victory, but Christ on the third day rose to eternal life, rose to overcome the, overcome the uh, tomb, overcome sin, and overcome death. And Jesus is victorious. Amen. Isn't that exciting? So all the way back in Genesis, God was already placing in motion the plan for us, the plan, the plan for salvation. Genesis 3.15 is referred to as the, as the proto-evangelium. Right? It's, a, it's a compound word in the first part of proto, meaning first. And then evangelin is the good news or the first gospel. So really we can, we can trace God's plan of salvation all the way back to Genesis after the fall of Adam and Eve. So what does this have to do with Christmas? All the way back in Genesis, God was putting in motion his plan to execute the greatest rescue in human history. That God was already putting the, putting the pieces in place for you and I to experience what we are experiencing here today, the celebration of a, of a Messiah, of a Savior, 
of, of one that would come and remove the sins of mankind. So beginning in Genesis and continuing throughout the Old Testament, the promise of a Messiah or a Savior was foretold. And Jesus, uh, I mean, um, Lee uh, shared that scripture verse in, in Zechariah. Uh, of the, um, of that. But there's many prophecies in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, this is speaking to King David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And, and in, in Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call, and, and will call him Emmanuel. The, the fulfillment of this is in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The angel answered, speaking to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And we know that Mary, Mary was a virgin. It was a, it was a virgin birth. So, so we see the fulfillment of that prophecy there in Luke. And then in Micah chapter 5, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Epitaph, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And then the fulfillment of this is in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The, this, Christmas story, this is the Christmas story's motivation. God's plan for salvation, beginning really before the foundation of the world, was aimed, was aimed and sent for you. It was aimed and sent for you and for me. The coming of Christ the Savior was a culmination of one central purpose, God's relentless, unstoppable pursuit of you and me. And you and I, really, we really have to grasp this today. And, 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 that, and that's really what I want to zone in on is that, the, that the, the Christmas story is about you. It's all about, it's all, it's all about you. In Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 12, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Make no mistake about it. The baby lying in the manger was God's gift for you. And I titled the message today, this, this gift is for you. This gift is for you. And I like that part there in verse 11 in that passage in Luke. It says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And some translations say a Savior has been born for you. And, and, and so this, this gift of Jesus Christ is for you. So, you know, I believe that Christians, we, we make the, the, the Christmas celebration we make it so big and so grand, we forget to keep it personal. And, um, and, and that's really no fault of, of, of anyone's, I guess. I mean, the media 
and society in general has, has, done a, has really hijacked the meaning of Christmas, and they put a lot of emphasis on the gifts and all, but they forget that the greatest gift is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the reason why we celebrate the Christmas season. But when we look at the grandeur and the, and the celebration and all the events and things that take place, I think a lot of times that can overshadow the personal message that Christ was sent for you individually and personally. And I think a lot of times that can get lost in the, in, in, in the grandeur and the, and, the, and the celebration, the things that we do. And, you know, really, if you read the Bible, and I've said this before, and this is really going to probably come as a shock to many people, especially people in the world that don't read the Bible, the word Christmas is not in the Bible. It does not exist. And nowhere in the Bible does God give us any instructions to celebrate Christmas. There's no instruction. It's not wrong to do so. It's wonderful that we do it as long as we understand the reason why and the purpose beyond that. But there's no instruction given to us. But the world through Satan has done a good job of deceiving, of deceiving us into thinking that God is distant, he's cold, he's unaware, and he's disconnected from my life personally. They, they, they've made it, so, made it in such a way that it makes it look like God, God is up there and I'm down here and God cares nothing about me. But where, where, God, where God cares everything about us. And y'all have often heard this phrase where you, you speak to someone and especially if somebody's not a Christian, they'll, they'll, they'll refer to God. They'll say, God is the man upstairs. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I've, I've heard that hundreds of times. Somebody, somebody says, God, God is the man upstairs. Well, this just hit me as I was preparing for this. Jesus came down from heaven to earth to save us. So the reality is this. God is the man downstairs. That God came from heaven to earth to be with us in the form of human flesh, the Bible says, to be with us. So I don't know what the hashtag thing means, but I think we should start a hashtag that says hashtag the man downstairs. Because that's really what, that's really what God, God has done for us through Jesus Christ as he brought... God came down to man. God came down to you. He came down to me individually and personally. The gift of Jesus Christ was for you. So Satan has hijacked the truth of the Christmas story. And it's time we put Satan where he belongs, under my feet, and release the truth of what Christmas is all about. See, don't allow the grandeur and the deception of Christmas to blind you from seeing that the gift of Jesus Christ was sent for you personally and you know a lot of times we talk about church and we talk about God and the Bible and we say you know it's all about Jesus and it, it's all about the Lord and all the glory goes to him and it is but when we look at the Christmas story and everything that God did to send his son to us he had one person in mind when he did that and that was you and that was me and sometimes I think we lose that that personal touch that God sent his son for you and for me. So if you were like our family, which is probably not good, <laughs> you gather around the Christmas tree and someone usually passes out the gifts. I don't know if they'll designate someone or someone's usually right there and they're, they're passing out the gifts and usually the gift has a name tag on there. And the name tag has, has to and from. Who's, who's, it, who's this going to and who's it from? So today as we celebrate the true meaning of Christmas, God is passing out the gifts. And the name tag reads this, to you from Jesus. The gift is to you from Jesus Christ. So when you open up the gift, this is what you'll find inside. And there's a, 
There's a lot of things you find inside the gift of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I could speak for hours and hours about the things that the Bible has, but I want to I zone in on these three things in particular, that, that the gift of Jesus Christ is for you and I. In Luke chapter 19, verses 9 to 10, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The first thing you find in the gift, find in the box when you open it up in the gift is the gift of pursuing you. The gift of pursuing you. Those who have yet to believe and receive Jesus fail to recognize that God is looking for them. That God is after the sinner. That God is in hot pursuit of those who he has created. That God is, is, is unstoppable in his pursuit of going after you and me. It's God pursuing us. And this passage here in Luke um, that I just read is taken from the story of Zacchaeus. And if y'all know the story of Zacchaeus, uh, when you were a child, if you grew up in church, I know when I was in when Sunday school in the Baptist church, they had a little song that the kids used to sing. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree because Jesus he wanted to see. And he was curious. He wanted to see what the, big, what the big fuss was about this man called Jesus. But he had no clue that Jesus was interested in him personally. Jesus was interested in Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus was in the tree because he was a short man, the Bible says. Got up in the tree to see who Jesus was. And the Bible says that Jesus noticed Zacchaeus. And he looked at Zacchaeus and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. He, he, he looked at Zacchaeus and said, I must stay at your house today. And this story of Zacchaeus is one of many where Jesus was pursuing the one. And, you know, if you look, if you look at the Bible, you know, Jesus, he saved the world by saving one sinner at the time. You know, a lot of times we look at Christ and we look at the story of salvation and we say, well, Jesus came to save the world. But, yes, he did, but he came to do it one person at a time. And that one person is you and me and those who have yet to receive and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. See, Jesus' mission to save the world never prevented him from taking his time with the one. Jesus was never, he was the son of God. And yes, he came to save the world. But if you read the Gospels, the stories that you remember the most are the ones that Jesus Christ, where he had encounters with one individual. Where, where he was not too busy to stop and take notice of one person. That, that is the message. That is the message that God. So G, I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is after you. He's after you. And you might say, well, I'm not worth him coming after me. I've messed up. I've made mistakes. It doesn't matter. Jesus Christ is after you. He, he, is, he, he is for you. And he's after you before you get saved. The world doesn't even know, but God... God's desire is that none would perish, the Bible says, but that all would repent and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. God is not after the lost world to condemn them. God is after them because he loves them. So God is after you before you get saved. He's seeking you after you get saved. You know, some people think, well, I'm saved now. I've accepted Christ. Now God's not after me anymore. No, God is still after you. God is still pursuing you when you when you fall back, maybe when you make a mistake, you you mess up, you trip up, whatever. God is still in relentless pursuit of wanting to have a personal relationship with you. That's the message of the cross. And that's the message of 
Christmas that Jesus Christ was born for you and for me. And he's pursuing you even when you mess up, even when you sin after getting saved, when you make a mistake, God is still after us, wanting to restore us, reconcile us, to forgive us, do all of those, do all of those things. God is after his children. God is after his children. The Bible says you and I are created in the image of God, that, that God created us in his image and that God was making a plan all the way from Genesis all throughout the Bible, God was announcing his plan for salvation to send his only son, Jesus Christ, to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Aren't you glad that God had a plan in motion? That we, he didn't have to do that. That, that. That's what grace is all about. God extended grace. We didn't deserve that. We didn't deserve what God has done for us. But it was because of his grace and because of his mercy. Psalm chapter 139 Verse 7 to 10 explains God's pursuit of us. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you were there. If I make my bed in the depths, you were there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. You can't hide from God. The world thinks they can run from God, they can ignore God, they can reject God, they can do all those things. You can't hide from God. God, God is after them. God, God was after you. If you're sitting here this morning and you've accepted Christ, God pursued you. The Bible says that we love because God loved us first. God, God was, I, I know in my life, God was after me. There, there was a pursuit. There was a longing that, that God wanted, wanted a relationship with David. And I'm, I'm insignificant. I, I joke with, with my wife and I. We joke all the time about things we do for one another and all. And I, I told her, I said, I don't deserve anything that you do. I'm just an insignificant person. And the vast sea of all these millions of people, I'm just, a, I'm just one person. Don't do anything for me. <laughs> we, we joke about that all the time. But you are valuable in God's eyes. The gift of salvation was for you personally. God sent Jesus Christ for you. So I'm thankful for a God that never gives up on me, that God never gives up on me. Your friends might abandon you. Your family may abandon you. But the Bible says God will never leave you nor forsake you. See, we, we need to quit looking at God in the sense that God is up there keeping rights and wrongs and start looking at God as a father, just as we would as a son or a daughter to our earthly father, that God loves us. As his child, the Bible says, and he desires a relationship with us. And that's the gift of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the culmination of everything that God had put in motion for you and I to be reconciled and brought back to God. All that was lost in Adam, the Bible says, was restored to us in the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful God had a plan for us? The gift of Christmas is God's tireless pursuit of you, of you personally. The next thing you'll find in the gift is found in Luke chapter 5. It says, some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and uh, carrying a man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could, find, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. 
When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The next thing you find in the gift of Jesus is the gift of forgiving you. The gift of forgiving you. And this is a story of the faith of the man that wanted their friend to be, to be healed. But it's remarkable when you read the account here, they wanted Jesus to heal him. He was paralyzed. But what's the very first thing that Jesus did for him? He healed him of his sins. The healing of sin is a, much, is a much greater healing than a physical healing. Physical healing is good, but spiritual healing is way more powerful than the physical healing could ever be. We need our sins forgiven. Jesus Christ came to forgive our sins. There could be no more powerful words spoken to a sinner than this. You are forgiven. We are forgiven. And, and that's exactly what Jesus was sent to do. Forgive and remove all of our sins. You see, many of us, I believe, have a difficult time forgiving others because we have not understood that Jesus Christ has forgiven us. And I believe once we accept the fact that God has forgiven you, every, everything, every fault, every flaw, every, everything about you, every sin that you, that you have committed and you will commit, the Bible says in Jesus Christ, those sins are wiped clean. They're, they're removed from us in Jesus Christ. I believe once we comprehend the concept of forgiveness for us in Christ, then we will be, there, will, there will be no problem with you offering forgiveness to someone else for anything or any wrong that they have done for you because we understand that God has forgiven me. See, it matters not what you've done. God's mercy and grace is there to cover and to forgive. If the world knew Jesus is God's gift to forgive everything they have ever done. They will be running to Jesus. They will be running to Christ. They, they would be like, I want to be forgiven because the, the world is, is filled with shame and remorse and guilt for all the things that they have done. But, but if they only knew that Jesus was the gift of their forgiveness, they'll be running to Christmas. They'll be running to the cross, running to everything that God has for them. That's the job that God gives the church for you and I to share the message of Christ, share the message of Christmas that God extends forgiveness to them if they would just but receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The Bible says in Psalm 103, he has removed our sins as far, as far, as far from us as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west. There's, there's probably no way to measure that. <laughs> That's how far the Bible says God has removed our sins. Then in Psalms 103, verses 2 and 3, it says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. Jesus forgives all your sins. Not some of your sins. The Bible says Jesus forgives all your sins. Jesus Christ was the gift of forgiveness. That's why the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. What's the good news of Jesus Christ? What's the good news of the gospel? That God has not treated us as our sins deserve, but that God has extended his mercy and his grace through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the beautiful story of Christmas, that God has forgiven you. So don't let the grandeur and the, and the greatness and the bigness and all the things that, that, that happen around Christmas season don't let that blind you of this one simple truth. God, through Jesus Christ, has forgiven you. You personally are forgiven in Christ. No matter what, no matter what you've done, 
And this forgiveness is still working today. Even after salvation, if we confess our sins, the Bible says, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus still has power to forgive today. Aren't you thankful? There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood of Jesus. It's the forgiveness of our sins. See, Christmas is not only the celebration of a baby, but also the celebration of a lamb, the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. So that's what Jesus Christ came to do. Jesus' desire is to let you know personally the gift of forgiveness is for you. Whatever you have done in Christ, you are forgiven. God has forgiven you. And then we find in John chapter 3, verse 16, and many of us can quote this from memory, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The next thing you find in the gift when you open it up is the gift of loving you. The gift of loving you. What was the motivation for God to send his son? Love. The Bible says God is love. God doesn't learn to love. He didn't, no one trained him to know, to know what love is. The Bible says his very essence and nature is love. God, God is love. Jesus Christ is the gift of love. The Bible says for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. He, it, it was, it was, he willingly gave. It was his pleasure, the Bible says, that he was able to sacrifice and give his son because of his love for you and me. See, I believe everything the world yearns for is found in the gift of Jesus. Everything that the world's longing for is in Jesus. And no matter how modern or tech-savvy we become, everyone, I believe, desires this, to be accepted, respected, understood, appreciated, and loved for who they are. Jesus is the only person who can satisfy that longing. Now, I don't care how, how, how far you look, how many things that you get involved in and grab a hold of and, and, and get become a part of, nothing will ever satisfy the yearning and the longing all of us have in our hearts to be accepted for who we are. Jesus Christ loves you for who you are. I, I can rest in that. I don't have to try to perform, try to become something I'm not, try to become something someone else is, I can rest in the simple fact that God loves me just the way he created me. And his same is for you. God loves you just the way you are. You don't have to change. God loves you just the way you are. That's the gift. That's the gift we find in Jesus Christ. Jesus, when speaking to the Samaritan woman, you remember the woman at the well, he recognized that she was empty. How did he recognize this? Because he knew that she had been married to several men and the woman and the man that she was living with was not her husband. There was, a, there was another. So Jesus recognized that there was a yearning in this woman. There was a longing for, for satisfaction, a longing to be loved, a longing, a longing for something to satisfy her. And Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was speaking to you, you would ask him and he would give you living water. See, the living water is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only person that will ever satisfy you. He's the only one that will ever satisfy the emptiness that is found in all of us. His name is Jesus Christ. And that's living water. That's rivers of life, the Bible says, that will come from our innermost being, that, that, that will come as rivers of life. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy you in that. See, once you experience the love of Christ, you will never thirst again.
We should never, some of us do thirst again, but we should never thirst again. The, I've said this before, once we find Christ, you can call off the search party. The searching is over with. I've, I found the pearl of great price. I, I, I found that treasure that the Bible talks about. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, and he, he loves you. In Ephesians chapter 3, it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That covers it all right there. How high, wide, deep, that, 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 that is everything. God wants us to grasp and understand the love of Christ, that, that, God, that God loves you. See, a lot of times, and I'm probably guilty of this, we have a hard time accepting God's love because maybe we didn't get a lot of love from those that, were, that we were around when we were younger or we were growing up. Maybe we felt uncared for or unrespected or, or we were unloved. But God loves you for who you are. That's the gift of Jesus Christ is God's amazing love. See, God, God is not against you. He's for you. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. See, we can't allow Christmas to become so big that we forget it's all about you. That everything that God did through Christ was done for you and for me. It's personal. Yes, yes, Jesus, Jesus came to save the world, but he did it one sinner at the time. He, he's a personal God. He's a loving God. Jesus Christ was the result of a pursuit that began almost 6,000 years ago after the, after the fall of Adam and Eve. And God has never and never will give up on you. God, God is pursuing you, and he's pursuing me.